Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Okay, welcome to this episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today's guest on this call and vocation sponsored show is Reverend Jeremy Troxler. Uh, Jeremy's currently serving as pastor of Spruce Pine United Methodist Church in the Blue Ridge District up in the high country of North Carolina. And prior to that, he served six years as the director of uh, the Thriving Rural Communities Program at Duke Divinity School. And we're going to find out more about him on the show today. So welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks so much, Michael. Good to be with you. Well, likewise, it's good to be with you as well. And we're just going to step right into questions because time goes quickly in these shows. So give us a little background. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, Those kinds of things. Sure. Um, I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in a little farming community called Brown Summit, North Carolina. It's just just north of Greensboro in the Piedmont part of the state. Grew up on a tobacco farm there, um, part of a big extended Troxler family and network of relations that lived in that part of the world. And that community, my extended family, that experience of growing up on a farm has shaped a lot of who I am. Um, I went off to college at UNC Chapel Hill, um, another place that shaped me deeply, and uh, to Divinity School at Duke, and have been serving in the United Methodist ordained ministry ever since. And so um, my wife, Margaret, is an oncology nurse. I have two daughters. Ada is 10 and is a big reader. Della is six and loves to dance. And uh, they're definitely the light of my life. So that's just a little bit about me in a nutshell. Okay. Now, uh, those that are involved in North Carolina politics have seen your dad's name before. He's uh Secretary of Agriculture for the state, is that right? Right, that's right. My, my dad is Steve Troxler, and he's the Commissioner of Agriculture, and I, I'm really proud of, of him and, and the work that he's done in that role and the kind of respect that he's earned in, in doing that from all sides. My, my dad is at heart still just an old farmer that loves getting up every day and finding ways to help farmers and help agriculture in North Carolina, and so that's it's been a wonderful journey for our family to be with him as part of that and to meet so many wonderful people, especially in the agriculture community. And that that group of folks is, is just a group of people that's always close to my heart. Uh, no doubt. Um, yeah, I first met him at, at a farm day here in Haywood County about 10 years ago and uh, uh, took his picture for the Mountaineer here in town. So. Um, and didn't even know that y'all were related at the time. It yeah, took me... well, one of the gifts has been that Dad will go places where he'll meet Methodists that I've encountered through my real church work, and then I'll go places where farmers have met Dad. And so it's just kind of neat the way that, you know, our two different vocations and, and lives have, have overlapped throughout hmm. rural North Carolina. That's uh, That's just been a really neat thing. Uh, there's no doubt that, that rural ministry has been a big part of who you are and, and what your ministry has all, been all about. Tell us a little bit about your call story. Uh, how did you hear that call to ministry? 
Gosh, I, I think there are so many pieces to it. I, the, the short version, I, I grew up in a, um, we might call a small membership United Methodist Church there in Brown Summit, Gethsemane United Methodist. Mm-hmm. We we probably had between, at the time, 80 and 100 folks in worship. And that community of people shaped me at the time in more ways probably than I ever realized at the time. I, I just absorbed the Christian faith and the Methodist way through them and was baptized there at uh, around age 13 following confirmation. And uh, um, when I was a teenager, I was deeply influenced by um, A.C. Brock, who became our mm-hmm. pastor. It was a time in my life when I was growing in faith, and, and A.C. just seemed seemed to act like I imagined Jesus would act. He, he just had this kind of gracious and good humor and and yet also goodness about him and uh, I think AC was wise enough to see that God was doing something in my life before that I could and he asked me to help lead worship or to participate in council meetings even though I was just a you know a runny-nosed teenager and um, and when I went off to college AC took me out for pizza and I, I just remember that conversation so vividly, just, you know, brought up to me, Jeremy, have you considered that you might be called to be a pastor? And uh, mm-hmm. and I had never, I, you know, maybe it had, there had been a few glimmers of that, but at the time, it was not something I deeply thought about. And at the time, I told AC, well, you know, gosh, that's for holier people than I, that's for people with a much stronger faith than I do, you know, and... We did talk about just how he wanted to encourage me to continue to serve in leadership in the church as a layperson, wherever I may be. And but but that definitely you know planted seeds that would come to birth later. And um, I ended up going to Carolina, um, received a scholarship there that at the time felt like this amazing blessing, and that in its own way was a kind of calling. Came with the responsibility of it and. Hmm. took English classes and read John Donne uh, and some of his religious poetry, and I read George Herbert, who wrote um, about being a country parson, and T.S. Eliot, and all these kind of Christian writers that more deeply implanted this vision of ministry in me, and became really active in the Wesley Foundation there, which was another community that just helped me to hear God's call and to try to try out in different ways what it would feel like. And Who was the campus the minister time, there at the time? Manuel Workman was there yeah. at the time, and, uh, and, and Manuel, Manuel and AC were the two people when I was ordained who laid hands on me uh, because of the influence they had, and Manuel really nurtured me and, and gave me space for that and challenged me to a broader vision of faith and um but that community really was a community of grace for me and and in some ways the rest of my life in ministry I, i've said I, i've really been just trying to recreate what i the kind of depth of community i experienced there and mm. uh, but anyway wh- while being there I, I at the time i wanted to be a small town doctor i wanted to if you've ever seen the movie doc hollywood where michael j oh, fox yeah. The old movie, you know, and he like will accept pound cake for payment. You know that that was my vision. I wanted to make house calls and that kind of thing. But I just gradually came to feel more and more that um, that God was calling me in another direction. And 
as similar friends who weren't necessarily that much holier than I was were experiencing the same call. I just slowly over time some of the the barriers and things I'd put up melted away. And uh, one last kind of piece of the story, because there's so many, but when I was considering um, going to Duke for seminary, I visited. Uh, It wasn't a formal visit. I just went with a friend, and I went to chapel that day. And for a long time, I've kind of had on my wall uh, one of those little biblical things that has your name, Jeremy, and a biblical verse that goes with it. And the verse was from Second Timothy chapter 1, and it says, I'm appointed a preacher and a teacher, for I know in whom I have believed. Hmm. And um, it, probably the power of suggestion of my mother to give me that at some point was part of this. But, but we went to chapel that day, and I just prayed so deeply, like, Lord, you know, just wink at me. Just just let me know this this might be it. And the 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 scripture that day was Second Timothy chapter one. I'm appointed as pre- preacher and a teacher, for I know whom I believed. And uh, I just remember the the hair standing up on the back of my neck, and hmm. just having this deep sense that I was supposed to be there. So so lots of moments in that, and lots of people and communities who played a role in it. But mostly, I, I think it's just been a discovering of my identity that this is who God made me to be, and, mm. and that I discover my deepest identity the more deeply I live into this vocation. So, Very nice. It's interesting the number of people that I've talked to that Manuel Wortman has made a difference in their life. And, yeah, uh, well, I, I, I'll say, I, I just want to say a word for the importance of campus ministry. I, I, I really feel that our Wesley Foundations and those places just during that time in life when people are deeply considering their vocation are extremely important. And so I just want to encourage all of us, both as pastors, as lay members of churches, and and as conference folks, just to continue to invest in those places. Um, Because I, I really think that's the that's the kind of greenhouse of clergy. Not not the only one. There are others, but um, mm-hmm. but it's a full one. Oh, for sure. So um, this is something I ask uh, everybody who comes on a call and vocation sponsored show. Now now that you've given me the short story or the long story, um, how would you describe your call in one or two words? I was thinking about that. I I um. I think the two words that first come to my mind, one is uh, deepening, um, mm. that I, I've just come to understand more and more that call is, is not this once and for all settled thing, but it's this kind of ongoing dynamic reality um, of of relationship with God and with our growth as disciples and as human beings and the way God calls us. And I I really do that, think that there are times of life where we're called to different things and that there's this kind of deeper call that never changes, this call to 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 live as the baptized and to be a disciple and to be holy. And, and within that call, there, there are these other kind of more dynamic callings to this place, to that place, even mm. daily to that conversation. Uh, to this activity, um, 
and, and that that just continues to deepen for me over time. Deepening is a word. I, I think the second is persistent. Um, hmm. it, like it, it uh, my experience of my calling and vocation is it just it just doesn't go away. Like even in those times where I may not feel very fruitful, uh, where you know ministry of any kind might be really hard. There's just this deeper kind of baseline beat in my life that this is what I'm supposed to do, and uh, and I'm reminded of Peter's words at one point, you know, where he says to Jesus, Jesus says to him, well, you know, will you also go away? And Peter says, well, Lord, to whom else will we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life, so you know, I have no choice. It just so there's this kind of dogged persistence in it that mm. just will not be killed no matter how much I or life tries to do that, tries to sniff it out. Um, mm. And I, I'm sure that's a grace and a gift. No doubt. Well, let's uh, move on. You uh, finished seminary. Uh, I think you went to England right after that and then serves uh, some churches here in western North Carolina. And then you ended up at, at Duke uh, with the Thriving Rural Communities Program. Um, tell us about that program and how that has influenced your life and how you've influenced others uh, in their calling in life. Sure. Well, well, the Thriving Rural Communities Initiative is a partnership between the Duke Endowment and Duke Divinity School and the Western North Carolina and North Carolina Annual Conferences of the United Methodist Church. And it, its mission is to foster just what the name says, rural communities that are thriving, and to do that by cultivating faithful Christian leadership and fruitful rural congregations. And so understanding that um, that faithful, gifted, formed Christian leaders leading um, congregations that are seeking to bless their communities in the name of Christ is can be at the heart of what leads a whole community to come to life and to fill its own vocation. And so, there were lots of pieces to that in the work at Duke. We um, had the Rural Ministry Fellowship Program. It still exists as part of the initiative, um, where students receive a scholarship and are prepared during their time at Duke for ministry in rural places and are made part of this network that both forms them for that and shapes them and continues to support them upon graduation. We worked with um, partner thriving rural churches that are beautiful models of what it looks like to be in faithful ministry in a rural place and and our diverse models of what that looks like and had the chance to work with all kinds of pastors and lay people in learning from what they're doing and, and also maybe working with them and sharing some ideas that others have had. And it was a beautiful gift in my life to spend six years doing that good work and helping it develop and especially being impacted by the the students, this amazing group of students, and, and by this amazing group of pastors. So um, I mostly am just struck from the work. I, you know, I... I feel great at all that Thriving Rural Communities is accomplishing um, through Brad Thee's leadership at Duke, and um, but mostly I just feel deeply grateful that 
I had the chance to be a part of that community as well, and I, I know mm. it's changed me, and and it's made me such a more faithful pastor uh, in millions of ways. All right. Well, it's time to take a little break, and uh, we're going to hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and, and talk about your current ministry. So uh, here's a word from the Colin Vocation team. Hello, I'm Jim Parsons, the chair of the Call and Vocation team for the Western North Carolina Conference. We are thrilled to partner with UM Connect to bring you some unique conversations in 2016. Our team is focused on cultivating a culture of call within our conference. For more about our work, please visit us at isgodcallingme.org. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people, as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation in Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back with Jeremy Troxler, and uh, we've heard about his call, and we've talked about his work at Duke. And uh, so let's uh, move on to Spruce Pine. That's where you are now. Uh, tell us about that experience after six years at Duke and then uh, coming back to uh, the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, what has that experience been like? And uh, compare and contrast that with other experiences you've had in the church. Sure. Um, you know, Coming from Duke and having done the the rural ministry work for those six years, I, I had this deep longing in my heart to be appointed to that kind of community where I could hopefully take some of all that I'd learned and apply it in a local church context again, knowing more than I did when I first started, and and that's been such a gift. I I, I love where I'm at. I, I live in a beautiful community. Um, I'm able to experience the kind of depth of relationship that can be such a gift of places like this where um, where you get to know personally your school principals and your school superintendent and your parks and recreation director and where you can be such a such a an, an important part of not only your church congregation but the whole community and that's been a gift i I feel like we um our congregation is just this amazing group of disciples who are seeking to be faithful together and to be faithful in facing some of the challenges that people face where we live. And so we've worked together on creating a, a cooperative youth group um, in partnership with 10 other United Methodist churches in our kind of mountain region. And we've brought together kids who are members of rival high schools that used to not even talk to each other um, mm. now understand themselves as part of this family in Christ and through the Methodist Connection. We've started uh, the Lamplighters After School Reading Program to help some of our first and second graders at our local elementary school who are behind in their reading level to work on their literacy. And, uh, and just week by week, uh, they're just these beautiful encounters where we're we're able to bless those in our community and be blessed by them. And 
and that's been a gift. And, and I think part of that gift has been having done that ministry at Duke. I learned so much from other places and developed this network of connections and relationships. And then to be able to kind of bring that to bear in my local context and and then to also have the local context sharpen some of the things that I had been saying or teaching about rural ministry. Uh, it's just been this real place of flourishing for me. Um, and I, I'm just grateful every day that, that I get to serve here and experience that. I, I've, you know, I, I've told a few people that I, I've felt like a pig in mud. I mean, that I'm <laughs> doing at, the, for, at this time in my life, exactly what I feel God is calling me to do and where my gifts and my passions and the things I cherish meet the world's needs. So, hmm. um, so that, that's been a great gift to me. Yeah. And that part of, uh, the Blue Ridge district is real unique in the sense that, uh, you've got lots of people that aren't from North Carolina that have moved into Spruce Pine and you've still got a lot of, uh, natives that are there. And so it's a real yeah. mixture of people. And uh, yeah. and I I think, you know, that's been a wonderful gift, too, is the, the church becomes the place where, it, I mean, you know well, Michael, that sometimes the, that can produce animosity between the whole mm. Native and Newcomer dynamic. And yet I, I've experienced our church as a place where those walls have come down, you know, and, and where... Native folk and and new folk to the community both find a home and experience the gifts that each other has to bring and uh, and so that's a that's a gift in of itself. But it is it's such an interesting place to serve for all kinds of reasons for the 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 different people who live here and have moved here for the history of this place, the economic challenges, the community minded spirit. They're they're just. It's such an interesting place to serve. No doubt. Well, let's move on to um, General Conference. You were uh, one of our delegates uh, to General Conference, and I will forever remember uh, this General Conference for a three-minute speech you gave, um, and it was exactly three minutes. Uh, I actually uh, got a recording of that, um, and I was going to play some of it, but we're going to run out of time. Uh, But it was a fascinating, probably the most eloquent speech I heard on the floor of General Conference. And uh, uh, tell us about that experience of uh, being at General Conference, and especially, you know, you were a big part of uh, a larger conversation for several days there. Well, thank, thank you, Michael. I, I uh, General Conference is such a hard experience to sum up quickly. It. it again, in so many ways, was such a powerful, wonderful experience to meet Methodist people from around the world, to share in these amazing times of worship, to be reminded of all the ways that God is using our connection and our church for good and to transform lives and and communities. It really, I mean, seeing that firsthand is it's just an amazing experience, and and yet it was also a painful experience because of the ways that we're divided. And mm. um, and I and again, I what I what I was left with was these two conflicting feelings of how deeply I love the Methodist people and and our church, and 
and how how much I don't love the process surrounding general conference that somehow mm. I think makes us less than we are. Um, I think the speech you're talking about was in reference to the proposal that we adopt Rule 44 as mm-hmm. a um, a different way of talking together. And and sometimes I experienced general conference that the kind of structure of Robert's rules of order and our rules actually kept us from talking to each other and hearing each other. Instead, we are forced to kind of talk to the chair um, and we're not even able to discussion at our tables, which mm. is, you know, to me seems like such a basic thing. And so sometimes it feels like there are these important things that we need to discern and talk about. And, and yet we're having to do that with a straight jacket and a muzzle, you know, um, mm. that keeps all voices from being heard. Um, and, and so that's, to me, that's the painful part of general conference. Is I, I feel, I feel there are better ways of us entering into conversation with each other that that we could share together. And you know, I still have a lot of hope for the future of our church. I, I think um, if ever our obituary, as we know it, is written, I, I fear it will come about in some measure because we just we're unable to trust each other enough to live out, let each other live out the gospel. And mm. we had this kind of desire to, to dictate absolutely everything um, from above. And that's a struggle the Christian faith has had from the very beginning is living in that tension of holding fast to what we hold in common and what is essential and yet allowing people the freedom to live their calling and their vocation as they follow the Spirit. And that mm. I mean, that's an age-old struggle in the church. And I, I, feel, I feel so many of our struggles, um, our, our divisions about same-sex marriage, are a symptom of this deeper struggle to determine who, what does it mean that we are the United Methodist people and... Um, and, 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 and in what way do we understand that we allow each other some freedom in expressing what that looks like? So, mm. so yeah, so it's, it was this amazing, conflicting series of emotions of loving this people, realizing this is my people and my family, and, uh, and yet also just lamenting, um, the degree to which I think we can fall prey to some attitudes and mindsets that turn us away from each other. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, we move from general conference to jurisdictional. Um, and just briefly, um, your experience there, we elected some bishops and uh, it was quite a different kind of experience to go from general conference to jurisdictional. What, what were your feelings there? I think, I think that's maybe one of the things I'd want people to understand who, who've never been is that that jurisdictional conference does have such a different feeling about it, and and I don't know if those of us who are there can describe why it it may be because there's less at stake and because we we 
have decided or we lack the power to kind of decide everything for the church through the Book of Discipline. And so there are these few focused things that we're working on together. And, and, and I just experienced it as a time of deep collegiality, deep spiritual discernment with each other. Mm-hmm. Not that there weren't disagreements, but that um, there was just this deeper level of, of, of trust and uh, mm. maybe just being part of a smaller group, but maybe also because there was a, a different set of things at stake. So, so it was very rewarding. It was special to, to see some of the, the people elected and to be a part of that. And, and also, if I could just say, I mean, all of the Episcopal candidates for our church, when you read what they've written, when you hear what they say, I just feel proud to be United Methodist. I feel like, gosh, we are producing these amazing human beings who are mm. leaders who have accomplished these things that God has used to accomplish. They're just phenomenal. And and mm. so you just – part of me, I walk away just wanting to be a better minister and pastor and wanting to be a better disciple, just having encountered their lives and, mm-hmm. and the integrity of them. So – so it was a rich and good uh, encounter and experience, and I'm thankful to have been a part of it. Excellent. Well, uh, we're down toward the end of the show. You get the last word. What, what would you like to say to people listening today? You know, I imagine probably most of the folks listening are, are part of our United Methodist Connection, and I, I think it would be something along the lines of, of what I was sharing about General Conference. I I wonder sometimes, you know, when I was in seminary, the the book that we read on the history of of the Wesleyan Methodist people was um, Wesleyan, the people called Methodists by mm-hmm. Richard Heitzinger. And it, in my understanding is that's how the early Methodists understood themselves as a people, um, you know, not primarily as an institution or a church or that kind of thing. And I I, I wonder... I wonder what it would do for us if, if more often we imagined ourselves in that way, um, as as a people, um, and and a little bit less imagining that what holds us together is our assent to, you know, these everything in the Book of Discipline. Um, I I, I want to invite us just to consider the possibility that that within this group of people that we're, we can disagree with each other on some really important things and that we mm. can even allow each other the ability to follow our conscience and and yet remain one powerful people in all that is essential. I, I really believe that's possible, and I, I believe it's even biblical. Um, mm. I've been studying a lot in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians about the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And essentially, um, you know, Paul comes down that it's not the best thing to do, but at the end of the day, if if everybody is genuinely seeking to follow their faith and their conscience on that issue and to, to, to do what they feel God is leading them to, then let us not judge one another and let's leave God to sort that out. And... Uh, I don't know I, I don't know why we struggle to kind of have a similar biblical understanding in the church of today um but I I I just I hope we can 
continue to remain one people united in mission and in ministry and uh and and give each other that grace of trusting each other to to be following the spirit as we best see it okay that is a good final word and so thanks for giving your time today jeremy thanks mike i'm i'm grateful to be asked uh and uh, thank you to anybody who's who's listened to this um Well, they may not listen live, but when we get it out on social media this afternoon, there'll be lots of folks that will listen. So um, we will uh, share this around. So thanks again, and thanks, everyone, for listening to us on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, The show will be available shortly as a podcast on the Blog Talk Radio page and on the show's website and also on iTunes. So keep up with the latest at umconnect.info. And we'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.